Hello there and welcome to the Thinking Fellows podcast. My name is Caleb and today I'm joined by my father, Dr. Scott Keith, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt, and by our friend, John Hoyam. Uh, John is a member of the Junior Fellows of the 1517 Thinking Fellowship. He's been, uh, you've been a guest, like co-host, a big part of this year because you've been able to do some call-ins and you've made two trips to Southern California this year too to be able to join us. Um, Dad, what uh, what scholarship was he just awarded so he can go on and <laughs> I finish his PhD? I got to remember it. Uh, it's a uh, Rod Rosenblatt, so named for Rod because he's one of our the founding fellows. fellows yep. um, I think it's Philosophy, Theology, and Apologetics Fellowship to help John finish his PhD. Right. So at uh, um, Aberdeen, right? Yeah, University of Aberdeen, which right. has a an excellent distance learning program if anyone out there is you know serving in ministry and can't can't move pastor ed killian is doing his at edinburgh oh i didn't know that is ma doing an ma oh doing an ma yeah yeah edinburgh just just got started with uh with distance as well that's one of my one of my former students was professor at edinburgh kevin van hooser oh really i didn't know kevin van hooser was one of your students yep wow Rod has taught a lot of people. Oh, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, you find yourself with other people who he's uh, at least been to. I mean, you'll meet people who have gone to like one lecture or something like that, too, who remember you fondly. But uh, yeah, so you're joining us for one more episode. And in fact, uh, th- this episode uh, title was brought to us as a question from your sister. Because John's sister listens to the Think of Fellows, and she was complaining to him a little while ago <laughs> that um, we don't often ask the types of questions that she asks. What does she ask? Well, and that's the I think the way she phrased it was, uh, the Thinking Fellows raises questions that I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the danger with a show like yeah. this, isn't it? Yeah, that's why you need feedback from people okay. saying, you're not as- answering any of the questions I have. So uh, so we have some but that we can mix into this, but we're going to talk about a little bit about talking to people who have lost their faith. And we've done episodes, and you've even given a great lecture. It's probably one of the it might be the most popular downloaded thing 1517 has out there, which is called The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, which is about people who grew up in the church and, and left. Uh, you can probably figure that out from the title um, if you're listening to it. But I also see this phenomena a lot online, and especially if you get uh, w- reading into like forum discussions about politics and religion where people can hide behind some anonymity too, they start sharing stories. And I, I've been noticing a phenomena recently where American Christians, probably evangelical, probably some some Baptists, based on some of the things you hear they said growing up, talk about growing up with the idea of church people and good Christian people and, you know, good old uh, good old boy type stuff. And then growing away from it. And it seems to me like it's in, in two parts. The one is that Christianity is sort of an internal affection. Yep. Um, and then the second is that that affection is followed by a behavior. Yep. As they get older, you have a contingent of people who sort of lose the affection. They lose the, the feeling of Christianness in their heart. Especially at college. Right. Enjoying the culture, feeling like there's some sort of um, emotional connection to it all. As that washes away they don't necessarily leave right after that but it's it's after that that they start looking then at the 
the one last thing, maybe well, maybe the Christian behavior, maybe what the culture infuses into the into the the nation or into people is good. And they look back and they see through an objective lens after sort of that worldview's been shattered or that emotion's been shattered. They see bad people. Hypocrisy. Yes. Hypocrisy. They see hypocrisy. And so you see people start <clears throat> sharing about, you know, Christians are hypocrites. My family is a bunch of hypocrites. My parents told me to love everybody, and then I realized that they hate people who aren't like them. And you just, and it starts snowballing. And so once that emotion's gone to keep them sort of blind of the hypocrisy, that, gone. And, it, and, they're sh- and they're shattered. Right? Yep. And that that seems. I encounter it weekly, if not daily, if I'm diving through certain segments of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and people very, very upset then, angry at the life that they had as they look back. And one of the reasons this might even be relevant is uh, is next week is Thanksgiving, right? And so you have a lot of these people who have left the church coming back home to their good old Christian family for for a week and spending time with mom and dad, spending time with the people they deem hypocrites or maybe extended family, and things get awkward as, you know, a mealtime prayer is said, and they, they look at the kid who they suspect is maybe not going to church anymore and say, why don't you say grace, and those types of things. So the question is, how do you, as, you get, as we're probably, many of us are getting thrown into this situation this week, how do you talk about Christianity, or how do you talk to somebody who has left for all of these reasons, who's gone? First of all, let me give a bibliographical referent. Micah, uh, Rod. Title is Exit Interviews. Exit Interviews. People explaining in some detail their story about how they once believed in Christ and now they don't. Mm. And um, and so what what are some of the commonalities there? Do you, do you, you recall? Hit on, you hit on yeah. several of them in your intro to it Um, I once believed it was true now I no longer do once I believed that Christians were a different kind of people than I realized they aren't it's the standard litany Uh, I had never really thought through the problem of evil as compared with Christian doctrine Mm -hmm. now I think about it every day I, one of the ones that that prompted this recently was there's a video of a guy road rage somebody cuts him off or something he runs him off the side He's of the road. Got a fish on the back of his car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he gets out of the car. That was always my argument for not getting the fish. On yeah, the back don't of my car. don't ver, don't <laughs> signal who you are. Um, gets out of the car, starts like punching and kicking the person's door. Person's telling them to leave. Freaks out. Walks back to his car, grabs a gun, and starts shaking a a gun at them. They, they get this all on camera. It goes back. He gets arrested in court. He gets off on probation based on a testimony from his pastor about how he's a good Christian man from a good Christian family, and he's a God-fearing man who attends church every week. And this judge goes, well, if he's going to keep going to church and he can reform his ways, then he can be on probation. Right, and there were a bunch wow. of people mad because this is a, a apparently a regular issue. Is it? Uh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> if I ever get into trouble, I'm a god. I'm gonna trot that one out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably not in California, but okay. um, but but yeah. So so that was one of these areas where like the hypocrisy was on public sort of display. I'm gonna admit I, I have kind of a 
hard time with this with this question uh, because I think I think it goes wrong in like a couple of different directions for me. So one of them, you know, we brought up hypocrisy. So people leave the church because Christians are not, Good. you know, consistently moral enough. Right. And so, you know, on the one hand, you want to say, well, this is an occasion to teach about um, simultaneously saint and sinner. Uh, you know, the fact that in this life we don't achieve perfection. We don't even get close to perfection. That Christians remain sinners. The church is full of sinners. The church is for sinners. But on the other hand, sometimes, you know, hypocrisy prompts people to pursue something that they think will actually make them moral. Right. And this is where I get tripped up with talking with, like, the post-Christian person is that when I look at the person that has left the church because of the hypocrisy of Christians, they've done it because, not because they want to be able to do whatever they want, mm-hmm. but because they think they have found in secularism or in a different religion or living for themselves or making money or whatever the case may the be, morality. they think they've found actually a better morality than being a Christian. I find it really exceedingly difficult to untangle all that. Does does this make sense? Well, so they, yeah. I, it actually means that they didn't actually really change religions. Right. Because the Christianity that they had was one of works righteousness, and they just found a better rabbi, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like they just, they found the Decalogue somewhere more clear to them. Um, right. And, and it, then it makes sort of the works of the community the example, right? So it's like uh, Christians are not the right moral example for setting your life straight. Uh, this this secular group over here has a much higher success rate, so I'm going to join, going to join them. But in, in essence, like you said, yeah, they're navigating the same questions. They want to come to the conclusion of the same good behaviors. It's just it's just which culture and which rabbi, right? Because we have a tendency to think that you know people leave the church because they were too <clears throat> restricted within the church. I I don't think that's true, and maybe it's because I live in like a sort of secular and more politically, socially liberal kind of place. But I think people leave the church because secularism is a more efficient moral system for their own kind of guilt management, for their own feelings of personal achievement. I think that's Could I Could I throw correct. in something that, that uh, I think is very, very important and we don't really know about it at all? Yeah. Almost no churches, ha- Protestant or Lutheran churches, have pastors who were trained in apologetics zero and one of the key questions for people that are leaving is did anybody ever give you arguments that christianity is first of all true and the answer is no never heard of it we have got to have uh, people who are getting Dr. Montgomery's audio series, Sensible Christianity, the best you'll ever hear, an hour or so on every given subject, to answer the question, you obviously think the Bible is true. Why? Yeah, I think the truth question is a good one because if if Christianity is true, is a different reason, is a is a reason to stay outside of if it's the most efficient moral system, right? right. Sure. And so I might not think it's the most efficient moral system, um, but that's not why I stay. I stay because Christ, you know, rose from the dead because there's a because it's true because this is where salvation is is and where the, 
it's distributed. So it doesn't, the moral, whether it's efficient or moral system is sort of a secondary, tertiary Absolutely. question at the end of the day. And the question is, can we move people from, is this the best moral system as the primary question, the purpose of religion, to is this true yeah. as, as one of the... <clears throat> and almost none of our kids get any training in, in any non-Roman church you can name. Yeah. Cause how mo- Zero. Because how moral something is sort of becomes nil in the face of whether, whether and, the claims are true or not. And when you lose the, the truth, the truth of the claims, the more that the symbols themselves become all about morality... So, right. so the more you talk about the truthfulness of the death and resurrection of Christ, its status as real, the less it can become about uh, a sort of moral endeavor that I have to engage in because you're talking about events that have actually occurred for you. Uh, and so the more, we, the more we talk about the reality what of Christ's do we do resurrection. About, there are no pastors trained in it. Well, that's true. There's a handful, and I think 1517 has done a good job of being. Yes, so but on the aware. seminary level, it's not something yeah. that gets. It isn't even in the curricula. Yeah. Well, sometimes even this. Uh, well, I got a couple things I want to say, but going on the apologetics route and the lack of training, um, it's interesting to me talking to LCMS pastors. Um, they'll know pretty clearly what apologetics is. Um, they'll, most of them will have a. a a passing familiarity with it, maybe from a systematics class or something like that. But not many of them, especially in the evidential side, give it much credence. Um, most of our, to, and this is anecdotal on my part, but to my observation, most of the guys in the LCMS who are very concerned about that are more doing um, uh, like culture wars kind of apologetics, right? right? Where they're, it's in a lot of ways, you know, how the Reformed would handle it, where it's presuppositional in nature, they're they're uh, acting as though the person can't understand until they come to the faith, and so the idea is just to attack the worldview, and that's if they do it at all. Um, so then they really start with a lot of the, the moral questions first. Yeah, that's right. Right, instead of getting right. to those sort of as secondary yeah. or tertiary. Because every, everybody's in, we just, when we, when we did the series on postmodernism on YouTube, Everybody's afraid, right, of of the way things are going. Everybody's everybody is um, in one way, shape, or form. Whether if whether you're liberal or conservative, you're afraid about the direction this country or this world is is going in one way, shape, or form. And so it's all a moral issue. It's kind of what we talked about last episode. Everything's a moral issue. Everything needs our repentance, and we need to buy um, our salvation through our products or through our offsets or through whatever. Um, it's interesting to me talking to people in sort of your quote-unquote system, John, and LCMC and NALC and guys back from the ELCA even, it's not even a topic. No. Like, it's it's just not even a topic. No, no. I only know about it because yeah. because my, my dad uh, sort of came up, you know, raised Lutheran, but came up through the evangelical renaissance of the 70s. Yeah. And yeah. when you kind of have that... that, that old connection to pietism which sees it as a bad thing um apologetics yeah and so yeah there's probably some of that yeah and so it's just that's just like Kierke- like Kierkegaardian yeah, pietism yeah, yeah probably yeah it's just a it's just a weird sort of mishmash i was going to say way back when you started this Caleb before we got on apologetics that this 
this is a number when I was teaching the basic class at the university for several years, um, I would often teach the transfers and uh, the transfers. So they're older. They're older, and there's a higher percentage of just flat non-believers in those classes. And because we, I'd ask that question. Well, some of them had been to university like a first run around through, and come back in, right? So like a lot, they've been working, they've been out of the house for longer. Yeah, and so you know, you you in those transfer classes, I maybe had ten, fifteen percent of the students in the class that were Christian, and that was it. And so some of them had been, you know raised in the faith some had been hardcore raised in the faith and were out some had just kind of been tangentially you know sort of christmas and easter kind of thing um but this is this was always the number one question was you know i can't i can't buy into that crap Uh, you guys are all a bunch of uh, hypocrites and liars and i'm like that's interesting because and my answer to them was always well that's fair we've done this to you like we've given you a message that christianity is about um, who you have sex with when you have sex and um, about telling you the good and the bad ways of doing that. Because um, let's be honest, that's what college students care about. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and the, the thing that I, that I think more than, more than just the ethical systems with the younger adults that I w- would encounter in those classes they were always more upset that it seemed like Christianity, Christians were a bunch of haters. Yeah. To put it sort of in the mm-hmm. vernacular from five years ago. Yeah. Um, that not only were they hypocrites, but they thought that other people, even if they did think it was, even if, even if those other people thought that Christianity was true, right? Mm-hmm. That Christians still said if they did X, Y, or Z or participated in this lifestyle or that lifestyle, they couldn't be in. Um, and that's that's a big hurdle for us right now. Um, I know uh, your mom and I met these people when I was teaching at a camp in Michigan um, who, th- they're Christian, right? They believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Um, but they also can't believe that Christians would ever teach that homosexuality was wrong. And it's a real barrier for them. And if they're ever out of the faith, that'll be why they're out of the faith. It won't be because all of a sudden they don't think Jesus is their Savior. It'll be because they think they cannot find a church. They can. But it'd be because they cannot find a church that will will tell them that their homosexual cousin, mm-hmm. who's their favorite cousin, um, can't get married in the church or can't you know, belong to this church because they're gay. And that's the type of thing that really hits now. Um, it it's not just people leaving because even if of things that they are doing that Christian Christianity quote unquote is telling them is wrong. It's it's there's this this weird empathy that's part of this discussion that I can't believe you tell other people what they can or cannot, or that that's a sin or not a sin. Mm-hmm. Now, I would guess that there's a Unless, unless they're the big hypocrites, there's a little bit less of that now because we're all about now telling other people that they're sinners, like societal as a society. So I'm kind of curious how that plays out now. I think I think it's kind of progressed beyond this, which is that you know you're not just looking for a church that is going to permit your gay cousin to come and be themselves or whatever. It's, it's, it's you got to celebrate it. Yeah, you got to tell and them you're not great. righteous. 
right? You're not unless you truly moral everything. unless you celebrate it enthusiastically. Yeah. yeah. And that's rough because that's to get to Rod's, you know, can we tell him that it's true? Well, you you can, but that's all that's almost a different discussion there. Um because I I find I had I had found that more and more I young adults weren't telling me I just think this is a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, they had a reason. Yeah, it wasn't I just think this is all untrue. Can you can you convince me that it's probable or it wasn't that. It was something else. It's like John said they want everybody to be celebrated for all of their peccadillos, right? Um with exception, right? So you can't celebrate the sexist um, for their sexism. You can't celebrate the racist for their racism. And so this gets back to, this eventually does wind back to this, is this true or not? Right. Because the part of it that's, that is it's true or not is that is the de- declaration of the law gives to me that I am a sinner true. And right. if it is, um, and if it is, that means that it's not just me, Scott, telling you, Joe Schmo, that your cousin is worse than I am. It's that me, Scott, as a preacher, is preaching the word of God to you, and that person's being convicted by that word um, and drawn to Christ alone as their only hope of salvation. And it's really not a, a moral message. Yep. It's a message about what are you relying on. Yep. We, we all rely on ourselves in these weird and interesting ways. And one of the ways that the culture relies on itself is it relies on itself via the virtue of being something that in the past would have been seen as bad and is now seen as good. And you have to celebrate my virtue in this thing because I'm... Because the past has so much stuff. I've broken it. free about this thing that has rep- rep- oppressed us all for so long, and you're not celebrating that. Yep. Um, but that's not... You know, that is... <laughs> I'm going to say left-hand kingdom. That's not even left-hand kingdom. That's like, that's like a, a perversion of, of all righteousness right there. To celebrate somebody just because they are participating in something that in the past was called wrong? Yeah, this, this, was, this was the discussion in the, in the ELCA about a decade ago. And, you know, we don't necessarily need to get into it in detail. But the, the question was, you know, did the ELCA err in... Uh, moving to ordain practicing gays and lesbians because uh, it was inadequately moralistic. No, that wasn't the problem. It was deep down that this raised a question about the nature of sin and therefore the nature of forgiveness. Well, and the truth, and so the ELCA's and the truth of Scripture. Is, yeah, the ELCA's problem, not everybody in the ELCA, but as an institution, the issue is their ambivalence about yeah. the gospel. And if, yeah, if you, if you, if you abandon the authority of Scripture to speak about sin, then you also, yeah. and more importantly, abandon the authority of Scripture to teach concerning and forgiveness, righteousness, and faith, and forgiveness, and forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. And so, ultimately, but but see, this is where my challenge comes in, which is that all of these things do actually come down to the nature of the gospel and the truth of the Christian faith, but. The way that these conversations are set up culturally today make it really, really hard to, to actually get down to brass tacks with people. Well, yeah, I tried to have you're this. You're in a lose-lose. Let, you're in a lose-lose. Yeah. The last time I had dinner with Dr. Montgomery, I tried to have this discussion with him because it's it 
it's this it is the same discussion in this weird way right so it is the same sort of apologetic discussion that it's always been um but it's not like you're getting a big list of academic objections to the faith from right. these people you're just not it's just that's just not what it is now they're they're sometimes the same questions like rod said problem of evil you know that that thing pops its head up everywhere um, including in how could you say God doesn't love my cousin who's a homosexual, right? That's um, if yeah, he, a if religion he's, of love. That doesn't if he's love. all God, if he's all God, he's all love, you know, and he's and he can do whatever he wants. Why can't he just love my cousin? Um, so it, that thing kind of pops its head up everywhere, but it's not the same as you know we we don't believe these Bronze Age peasants, you know, had enough wherewithal to transmit the truth to us as revealed by a, a holy God. Right. It's not, that's, that's very rarely the question um, that Anymore. I get. Yeah. Um, now it, ca- it can come that way. And one of the, re- one of the things I've said is that the ta- the, I guess I'd say tactics, the principles of the evidential apologetic are ex- still exceedingly helpful. There's a little more sort of, I think, pre-work in the realm of epistemology um, that comes in because you can always ask the question why do you think that the position you hold whatever it is why do you think that that's reasonable um, you know why do you why do you think any position is reasonable why would you bet bet it bet all the chips on on anything uh, can I throw in a bibliographic reference ja- the late James Sire why believe anything at all? Yeah, and I use that all the time in this. There's a and it's a good it's good foundational work for jumping in. Well, there's a so what one of the things that's occurring here is there's a a universal eternal law which is being applied to God to which they find God not uh, following, and it's generally love, and it's a law yeah. that we as Christians have placed on God for. A hundred years. It's a, in fact, if I still think the most common way I hear God talked about by American evangelical non-denominational Christians online is God is love. And Secular you, Americans will tell you that. Yes. Okay. And that is this is the law above God. This is yeah. and by doing so, you you've opened up every action in Scripture in other Christian lives, in preaching, that appears not to fall into this particular definition about love that Americans and the West believes, and which has really come into acceptance of all of all practice or something like that. I'm not sure it has much content to right. it. But. but whatever it is, and you've held God to it, and it's very easy for people to yeah. find God violating the law of love. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got this the other day. I was getting in the elevator, and my neighbor you know, knows I'm a pastor. I mean, you know, we're just casually chatting and drops to me something like, well, you know, the church is great, but I just think the church needs to be more about love because that's really the important thing in the Bible is loving everybody. Is there, are there passages other than first John four, seven and eight no, that it. talk that way? No, I mean, no, that's, that's it. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. I mean, it, that's it, right? I think so. I for, think God, so. for God is love. I think so. Yeah, so, but it is a blank check in our culture. Yes, it is. To, that, that will be cashed in every single time you run across a Christian a that does check. not appear to be open or accepting enough 
And this is just this is so just that the might dilemma. Be step one, right? So in the question of like, what do you do? Whatever you do this Thanksgiving, don't use love as your primary descriptor of who God is. Well, you get first. Right? You get John three sixteen for God so loved the world, right? But that has a telos to it that he did. It, that ta- he it just it takes longer than a four story elevator ride to be like, listen, you have an idea of love. Uh, <laughs> that and, is contradictory <laughs> to and, it, and it doesn't it doesn't quite work. In fact, what this love actually means is that this God has become man for you, yeah. died for you, oh. taken your sins, and done all this and been raised know, you for just, you. I think you know, we only went two stories and he did it. Maybe maybe I'm I, maybe I'm better at this than I think, but huh? Yeah, I mean, so but there's a lot of legwork w- in dealing with people who have who have abandoned. The you are, faith you're right. There's there, the difference between John three sixteen and First John four seven and eight, is that one is sort of ontologically describing God as love, First John four seven and yeah. eight, and one is um, got a telos, just got an end to it. You know, for God so loved the world, so that He gave His only begotten Son. There. For He so, did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and that starts off with another thing: is you God so loved the world is in contrast to that God rightfully ought to condemn the world, right? Yeah. That's the that's the alternative: is that this love, that this universal standard apart from Christ, actually ends in condemnation yep. and wrath. And I don't think anybody that's ever been a parent. Um, I I don't know how people who have been parents don't understand that concept. Yep. I just don't because there are times when you have children that you know you rightfully ought to end them, but you don't, right? I'm sitting right here, <laughs> you know, because you love them, but rightfully so, you know, it's, and that's, I'm going to get a lot of heat for that, but there's, there's a lot of frustration that can come from these beings that you love so much that it's got to be at least somewhat understandable. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like that's on the table of steps, right, is to sort of, like, adjust our language to not writing the blank check, right, um, at this. Oh, they already have the blank check. Yeah. 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 The church has been <laughs> giving it to them for a long time. Right. <laughs> All right. And so, the, you know, that's, I mean, in the short term, there's not much you can do about that in a one-on-one conversation. As you sh- showed, your neighbor might pin you to it just because he knows you're a pastor or just because he knows you're a Christian, um, within seconds, but uh, yeah, what what can you do? You can start slowly doing things to help redefine that. If you have opportunities to have conversations over and over, yeah. The yeah. way I I tend to think about this is that you know those who've abandoned the faith for uh you know apparently superior secular version of being a good person, like ultimately that will fail them because you you can you can never become righteous in this way, and everybody. Uh, well, not everybody knows it, but if you talk to people long enough, they will eventually confess, I think, their uh, uncertainty about uh, where all of this is going. And, and eventually what, what you have to do in these kinds of apologetic discussions you know, is not just defend the truthfulness of the faith, but also to reveal the futility of all of these, uh, these games that we develop. To, sure. to make ourselves righteous, sure. but that takes that can't that can't be done in a single brief discussion. That that takes no, that's a, that that's takes time. That's the thing about apologetics is it, it is it's the 
wonderful and frustrating thing about being asked to come and teach apologetics at a at a congregation for a couple hours, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the idea that they've asked you to come do this in a couple hours lends to the idea that they in turn can do, do this in, in a hour. couple hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and very rarely um, is that the case. I mean, normally this is these are long protracted discussions. Well, over. you're not going to armchair apologize somebody online into <laughs> abandoning like a, a Twitter's a, maybe online not is a, the last place. So, so, not your best so, the, form so if you want to do something, the first question is: Is there somebody you're in a relationship with yeah. who's who you're talking to about this stuff? Yep. Not just like the one-off pithy conversation with somebody who like this, but somebody you're you're in relationships with, and and then the question is, I think like what you said, you're Actually, your job is to keep the conversation alive so much that you eventually hear when they make a confession of failing their system. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Because sure. if you give people oxygen, they'll eventually tell you what they really believe about themselves. They'll confess a sin. And they'll, and which means that they'll confess their sinfulness to you. Right. They won't necessarily know that's what they're doing. And there's this, and, and like we said on the last episode, when it came to secular, you know, repentance... Uh, they do a lot of, rep- we have to realize people do a lot of repenting that gets, there's no answer back. There's yeah. no voice back. God has not spoken to them. I mean, uh, Paulson and I were not talking about this in a secular way, but talking about um, Israel in Isaiah 45, right? What's the difference between Israel and Babylon? Israel has a preacher. Israel has a God who talks back. Mm-hmm. They pray to their gods as religiously as Israel, but they don't talk back. Yep. They don't absolve them. Our secular culture has gods who don't talk back yep yeah. and when we finally hear a confession our god has a word to deliver to them yep can talk back yep another thing that i think we forget <clears throat> is that 85 percent of apologetics is done by loaning good books reading consideration uh-huh short good books that talk about the truth of the faith Dr. Montgomery, when he was at Cornell, which was founded not to have any of that religious nonsense that you found at Harvard or Yale or Princeton, (laughs) when he was there, there was this InterVarsity guy who started talking to him about the gospel. But primarily what he did was loan to John books like Wilbur Smith's Therefore Stand, and Edward John Carnell's Introduction to Apologetics, and gave him books that were really good on the subject. I mean, if those are in your church library, the guy doesn't even have to buy them. You can check them out in your name and pass the book on to them and ask them to give it back. Yeah, you might be able to give somebody something that occupies their time when you're not around. This, that, I think that feeds into the idea of keeping the conversation alive, right? Sure. Right. You can't be with somebody for probably the amount of time you wish you could when having these conversations. Um, you might be able to give them something that can be there when you're not. Yep. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to say it's books. I know that the reality is people don't read Um they they just don't. The Most person, of our graduates can't read. Yeah, <laughs> people. Yeah, you want to you want to have resources of various different right. media that uh, so that you know scattershot approach. So well, like, that's why I, I mentioned Dr. Montgomery's yeah. uh, sensible Christianity. That's audio. Well, right. Montgomery even has a podcast with us. So um, in and so we can put that Christianity on trial. His podcast on fifteen seventeen network. If you're looking for 
sort of just those regular weekly apologetic conversations and questions. Yep. That's on there. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why podcasting has done so well for us is because it does fill that space. It's been easy for people to share. It's much easier to share a link to say, hey, you're going to be driving sometime this week. Um, press play. Um, yeah. But again, I think it's con- this comes it's it's conversational. And if you have taken like our Academy on Apologetics or you've realized, I think we do reiterate this a lot that listening is as big of a part of the question when we say that, I do think we have to do sort of like we did in this episode and identify what you're listening for, which yeah. is not only questions, but questions and confessions, admissions, some of the truth. I think in those initial conversations you have with somebody who's recently left the faith is still bitter about it. Um, they're fired up and they're not telling you the whole truth. It's only once like there's, they'll have like the one example that they want to tell everybody about why they left. That may not be the whole story at the end of the day like you said when you get to know somebody you realize it might not just be hypocrisy as a general but there's actually something like yeah. my cousin right the bob the bob kolb question that's a good question why, why do, do you ask, ask that yeah. and and so we're listening for all all sorts of things and and that's the thing you have to tune your ears and we've we've said it in other ways in the show you have to tune your ears for confession you have to tune your ears for what what's the actual question they're asking um is it about scripture? Is it about truthfulness? Are they showing some sort of doubt in the reality of these things? Is it all moral? What's going on? Um, and so how do you how do you talk to these people? You you teach yourself to listen for particular things, not just to be that good ear. Because I, I hear that a lot too. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just listen to people. Just li- Christians need to do less talking, more listening. That's not what I mean. You're right. We it's actually about learning to hear things that people yeah. are saying. Yeah, because if you're just sort of an empty receptacle for whatever people are saying, you're not you're not really helping them. At most, at most, you're therapeutic. You know, it's a therapeutic function, which is right. good, but it's not the gospel. And, yep. And you're you're listening so that you can deliver the goods. All right. So, anything to add? I mean, I, th- this is a good introduction into coming back to sort of why apologetics matters. Because when you come to like a question like this, when you say like, "How do I talk to the post-Christian?" Most of the people, it's probably because there's something about their friends or family being a post-Christian that is in itself hurting them, right? Like there's some tension um, <clears throat> there. There's some dread. You hear about the dread of coming home for Thanksgiving and Christmas or that kind of thing. And so this becomes... The other, the other thing I think we have to be cognizant of is that in the secular world, it is um, an indubitable truth that things that have to do religion, with religion can only be approached psychologically or in terms of subjectivity. You pick one you like, mm-hmm. universal. Mm-hmm. And to that, the Christian response is, what if one of them showed itself to be true in a factual way? Whether you like it or not. Like it or not. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question to pose. Yeah, it cuts through the... Uh, all the layers of uh, kind of subjective feeling. Yep. Well, because you might we, even get an answer that says, well, that wouldn't really matter. It, yes. would, it would have to be what I like. At least and, you know where you stand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you know yeah. that the conversation, you know. Yeah, is it is it true? You know, we can we can talk about how it makes you feel, but that's not the most important thing. That's no. Not, that's not what fundamentally determines uh, 
the truthfulness of something. And we might, yeah. And we, at the end of the day, we really might not like the, the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, almost guaranteed you won't well, like the truth that you're a that's, sinner. <laughs> that's the story of, of the gospels, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, as Scott said, he always used Jim Sire's book, Why Believe Anything at All? And with good reason. And if you're listening to this yeah. show, your job might be to read it and then be able to spit out that to people quickly. And it's not that hard. I mean, it, the reality is, is that we all hold every single belief that we have, every si- single political opinion, moral opinion, whatever, for reasons. Yep. You know, and most of those reasons have to do with some person or authority that convinced us or taught us that those things were true and important. And then it's just a matter of sifting through how do you trust one authority over another and that's where the evidential argument comes in like full force yeah <laughs> i just think of the sales of uh jordan peterson peterson's book 12 rules yeah yeah and that's the guy that gives you 12 rules for life that millions of people now live by and he gives you no objective reason yep why you should believe any of it's true. Yep. It's all deductive in nature, completely deductive in nature, yep. rational, rational, philosophically rational approach yep. to sharing information, maybe even Hegelian. Yep. Yep. No, uh, well, I mean, I think, I don't know, I think that's the best we can do coming into people's we'll Thanksgiving. We'll have, to, we'll have to wait for the email from my sister. We could just text her and say, hey, did that one work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to. Well, I <coughs> yeah, I mean, on a regular basis. I so. do. <laughs> uh, I do pray for people out there who know that they have rough Thanksgivings coming in and things like that. If they are, thanks. Yeah, no, we do not. Be rough. It'll be it'll be good. That's on good for end, you guys. So. Um, hey, thank you for listening to this episode. It was fun to do one that had to do with apologetics again. We have. Uh, it's been a little while since we've asked sort of those kinds of questions. We were spending time doing a lot of doctrine over the last year, um, which has been good. But if you've uh, been enjoying the show, we could definitely use your support. You can go to 1517.org forward slash podcast. Uh, you know, my goal is 1% of 1517's podcast network listeners over the next year so that we can continue to... My goal is 100%. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it should be 100%. <laughs> I just look at listeners. Look at how much of a low bar I've set for oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> 1%. 1%. Um, if you can do that, if you can afford $5 a month recurring donation, uh, we could greatly use your support coming into this next year. If you like Think of Fellows as an ad-free podcasting experience, I know that I have pitched the idea of ads before, and we did like a, a little dabbling in them a couple years ago, and I got like a serious amount of email complaints saying, hey, Think of Fellows is one of the only podcasts I listen to that's not inundated by ads. It's nice to have a show that's not inundated by ads. And my response is, well, if you're a donor... Thank you very much for making that possible. <laughs> we'll take it under advisement. Right. If you're not, uh, well. the only way well, the only way to keep it this way really is to uh, to donate, or else we'll have to start searching for other revenue options. Um, I'd really prefer Although, or not maybe to do the that. ones that have, are ser- currently searching us out. <laughs> right. Correct. And um, I'd really like to be able to say uh, no to those emails. Yep. And to say, look, we have a strong donor contingent who finds what we do valuable, and they've made it so that we can continue doing this. So, and as as little as $5 a month would make that possible. 1517.org forward slash donate. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.